This is the Oanda Podcast, brought to you by Jazz FM's Business Breakfast. Welcome to the Oanda Market Insights Podcast, where we're looking ahead to another week of major market-shifting events. I'm Nick Howard. Joining me in the studio is Oanda Senior Market Analyst, Craig Earlham. Craig, good to be speaking to you once again. Let's look ahead to what's perhaps been the most tumultuous event of this week, looking to spill across into next week, which is, of course, the US-China trade war, looking like it's heating up once again. Yeah, fingers crossed we'll have a little bit more clarity on this uh, post-podcast heading into next week. Uh, We are recording at the end of the week, but there's still discussions are taking place um, between the US and China officials. Uh, The markets have become a little bit destabilised this week uh, as a result of this. It seemed that everything's been thrown into chaos once again by a Trump tweet last weekend. It seemed at one stage we were actually heading for a deal potentially uh, this Friday. And uh, instead, it seems that we've taken a massive step backwards. Um, Suggestions from the US side that China is backtracking on on previous promises made uh, and causing issues with these negotiations and the potential for deal to be reached. So instead of talking about a deal, we're talking about more tariffs. Now, by the time people listen to this podcast, we may have a resolution here. We may not. Uh, it, it's it's really up in the air. And that's what we see, we've seen reflected in the markets this week. And if we don't get this deal over the line, then how markets do respond next week and what we see over the coming weeks will very much depend on, on how this 48 hours has gone, because there's a variety of outcomes we could see a deal. We could see a complete breakdown in talks. That would clearly be the worst uh, option as far as the markets are concerned. We have to remember that we're in a, a global uh, environment right now where people are fearing an economic slowdown. A trade war between the US, the two world's largest economies does not help that, not just for them, but everyone that has close links to both of these countries, which pretty much includes everyone. Uh, and it was part of this that was driven, uh, that drove that sell-off in the last quarter of last year. So the complete breakdown is obviously uh, the worst option here. Um, the middle ground seems to be where people uh, are merely landing and hoping for, which is why the sell-off so far hasn't been too extreme. The middle ground being no tariffs imposed on Friday and a, an agreement to continue talks because positive progress has been made. I think that's probably the most likely uh, at this stage, which again, why this would drag over into next week. And it'll be really interesting to see how investors respond to that because this setback this week must have uh, really hit the nerves uh, of many investors around the world who previously seemed to assume that this was all done and that it was a case of when is this deal going to be announced rather than if it's going to be reached. Based on documents which were shared with the Reuters news agency, it does feel as though, as you say, the backtracking by the Chinese um, side of these talks has been extensive, going back on all of the um, uh, conditions that were put in place, particularly about legally binding um, uh, conditions if uh, if certain uh, things aren't met, things to do with intellectual property and things like this. That feels as though the talks are much further back than people thought. We saw, as you say, a huge um, sell-off this week. If tariffs were put in place, perhaps not now, but perhaps at some point in the future, where would actually be the costs? Because, I mean, we saw, I think, that original tweet from Donald Trump, every single word of it took $13 million of stocks. $13 billion. It's even more extreme than that, I believe. It's, I mean, we always have to remember, though, we are talking in global markets, which is trillions of dollars. So when we're talking about $13 billion, it sounds more extreme than it is. And that could be recouped in one day uh, on a good day in the markets. Um, 
but it, yeah, it, it does sound quite scary when you put it into that perspective. Um, it, 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 in terms of where the costs actually lie, I mean, first and foremost, it lies with all of us if we do see an economic slowdown because it lies with jobs, etc., uh, and security more than anything because we have to remember, it's not just whether people lose their job, it's whether they fear losing their job that can influence your uh, spending behaviour and therefore the, the contribution to the economy, the impact of potential hiring, etc., um, in terms of who pays the more direct costs, this is where one of the kind of fallacies you get and Trump's tweets don't help this, the suggestion that the cost land on China. Well, actually, it's importers who will face the biggest burdens. It's the importers who pay the tariffs. So it's Chinese importers who will pay the tariffs on any uh, that, that are imposed by the Chinese government. And it's the US importers who will pay those. Then it's a case of who pays the ultimate price then. Then it's likely to be shared. Then you will have the actual uh, importers themselves who will absorb a little bit of the cost. You'll have the end consumer when prices rise who will absorb some of the cost. Then they may share some of it with the actual producers in China and vice versa if, if, if an agreement can be reached there. And then you obviously get, then get the actual collapse of these relationships where, say, US importers look elsewhere outside of China uh, for alternative goods uh, or alternative uh, producers uh, where there is no tariffs in place. So it's very much going to be shared around. This bill doesn't entirely land on China, even if it is the Treasury who ultimately then gets the actual tariff cash. Uh, but then obviously, it's all well and good talking up those, that, that tariff money. How much is that taken off the economy? How much is that then taken off ta- tax receipts? We have to look at a more holistic view here. And I think it's only research that we see over the coming months um, that will really give us a full view. But even then, it's extremely difficult to collate all this information because then you also have to put that against assumptions on where it would have been. And as we've learned here in the UK with Brexit, people don't really believe assumptions. Sure, and this is yeah a, a lesson that we've been um, learning that perhaps other countries might be able to uh, learn from themselves. Let's look ahead to the rest of next week. It is a data-heavy um, week, but we've also got um, a number of important earnings as well. Yeah, so the uh, data side of things, it is a data-heavy week. How much of it will be a major influence in primarily FX markets, you have to to say, uh, where you do tend to see a lot more of the volatility on the back of this. Um, The the UK uh, jobs report is is going to be an interesting one. I don't expect we're going to see too much of a surprise here. We have seen strong wage growth, 3.5%. Unemployment is still at the lowest in, what, 30-odd, 35 years, almost 34 years, 1985. We're not expecting a dramatic shift there. But we're always looking for these little signals that the economy is is, is suffering as a result of, of this uh, Brexit uncertainty. Now, it doesn't matter what side of the divide you're on. It's quite clear there has been a slowdown. The good thing is it hasn't had that much of an impact on the labour market. And again, research will be published in the years to come to explain why the labour market has been so resilient to all of this. Um, it wouldn't surprise me if this is one of the areas where the flexibility of our labour market actually is benefiting the numbers right now because employers know that the, the flexibility of the labour market means that if Brexit does turn bad, then they can quickly make adjustments and then all of a sudden the figures will sharply change very quickly. Sure, get rid of people if uh, the uh, earnings aren't there. Un- like places where perhaps, you know, France, Germany, etc., where the laws mean it's tougher to get rid of people. Exactly. Um, so the, this uh, this may be benefiting the actual jobs numbers so far, but that's uh, ultimately right now we should be relieved about that because it means that people aren't losing their jobs just because of the what ifs and ma- what, what ifs, buts and maybes. But obviously now we've got another six months of uncertainty. So um, the, there is 
other data as well, we've got things like US retail sales, which is always a closely followed barometer, especially given that we have seen a slowdown um, in ma- many major economies and a shift in central banks since the start of the year. The US first quarter GDP was stronger than we were expecting, but it was built up by a lot of temporary factors, which will likely weigh on later figures, things like inventory building. And we've obviously seen that in the UK as well. Um, so again, it'll be an interesting number to watch because I think markets are going to become increasingly sensitive the more weak data points that we do get here. And finally, uh, an eye on the euro area as well. We've got uh, unemployment and inflation data here. Again, unemployment in the euro, I really find an interesting area because I think it's what, like 7.7% unemployment. This is the lowest since prior to the financial crisis. Prior to the financial crisis, unemployment was around 6.5%, 7%. For me, that's staggering because that's an incredible high level of unemployment at a time of an economic boom. Um, so 7.7% seems like an extraordinary high number, but compared to its long-running average, it's actually not that extreme. And yet, is that an average which, given the huge disparities in the euro area, is it actually a useful number? I'm thinking of the unemployment difference between a place, again, like Germany or perhaps parts of Scandinavia versus southern countries, you know, Italy, Spain, um, Greece. Yeah, the disparity is a massive thing. Unemployment in Germany is extremely low. Um, and then, like you say, Italy, Spain, Greece, they're extreme. it's extremely high. You do have this massive divergence. We, we It's kind of... I wouldn't say it's fallen off the agenda or off. Pe- it's fallen out of people's minds that this this disparity still exists. We were talking a lot more about it five years ago when this kind of two-tier Europe was far more prevalent when we were talking about countries potentially going bust um, and needing bailouts. Because we're not talking about that anymore, it seems to have not, again, not forgotten about but not talked about as much. It very much still does exist. And that's why some of these countries are far more sensitive to downturns and global economic downturns than others are. But then again, Look at Germany right now. It narrowly avoided recession. It's not completely immune itself. And finally then, Craig, just to put a a, a capper on this, we're nearly halfway through the year. What's your general feeling about how 2019 is going and looking ahead to the rest of the year? Are you optimistic about things economically? Well, this is is the interesting thing. Uh, I think, personally, I think the fears are a little bit overdone. Um, we are seeing a little bit of a slowdown, but I don't think it's too extreme. Uh, I think talk of recession right now is still a bit early. That's not to say we might not see one in a couple of years, but let's be honest, recessions aren't necessarily the bad thing. It's how bad the recession is. These things are cyclical. They do move in waves. Uh, we can't be in a boom environment forever, despite what we some people once thought. Um, if we look at the overall situation, we the, the data that we're seeing isn't too bad. With the earnings reports we're seeing from companies haven't been too bad. We've just come off a rec- uh, an incredible year in the US, obviously driven by primarily by tax cuts. First quarter earnings season hasn't been as bad as previously thought. Um, I think re- analysis by Factor initially had uh, earnings growth in the first quarter at around minus 4.8% year on year. There was risk of a potential earnings recession. That 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 gap's actually uh, reduced significantly. I think the report that Factset put out last week had earnings growth at minus 0.8%, with some still to come. And the upside surprise we've seen so far suggests that we may not even see a negative quarter of earnings growth in Q1, which removes the risk of an earnings recession, maybe makes you a bit more optimistic about Q2 mm-hmm. as well. So you look at things like this and you say, well, maybe it's not quite as bad and maybe we are seeing blips and maybe there are individual factors that can be quite easily resolved that are, con- that are, uh, that are causing those blips. Again, like uh, the US-China trade war, if that gets resolved, how much does that uh, alleviate some of the pressures? We look at the auto manufacturing industry in Europe, which has contributed to the Italian and German slowdown. If we do see China bounce back a little, how much uh, of a beneficial impact will that have? And also as the industry does just um, come to terms with things like uh, the emission uh, testing standards, Uh, which has been a drag also on the sector there. 
in Europe, earnings, yeah, they, they've not been great, but they've not been catastrophic by any stretch of the imagination. Uh, they could quite easily improve in the second half of the year. It's still going to be a challenging environment. You look at results that we're seeing next week from like EasyJet, for example, among uh, a number of others, um, that it's going to be a challenging quarter. There's no doubt about that. Airlines have uh, had a really tough time of things. We've seen a, a number of them Absolutely. since go under and, and uh, it's a very difficult environment. And things like Brexit don't help a company like EasyJet with people not sure whether to book holidays, wait till the last minute, wait and see if this Brexit situation becomes unresolved. Empty seats ultimately is going to kill profits. And that's what we're expecting from EasyJet uh, next week. Other companies have their own issues. But again, these are all very resolvable issues, which is why I'm not necessarily as pessimistic about the outlook. I think a lot of negativity is being factored in and negativity which I don't think will come to pass. Do I think there'll be a no-deal Brexit? Absolutely not. Do I think US-China is going to be in, an, in, a, in a prolonged trade war? No, I don't. I think both sides want to come to an agreement that may just be a little bit more pain in the interim. So as long as we can see out 2019, then I have no reason why we can't see a bounce back. But again... Let's see how the data pans out. I'm not one to forecast even 12 months ahead, especially in such a volatile environment. Craig, always a pleasure. That's uh, Craig. And a final point, often outside of our scope, but um, we've got uh, the Australian elections coming up next um, weekend. Also some data coming out from that region as well. Just touch on that for me. Yeah, so um, Australia's been... uh, uh, The economy has been... A little bit unsettled, you could say, recently. We have seen uh, signs of a slowdown. The, the housing market has been uh, problematic. We are seeing wages growing at a slower rate than what, they were, the, what they're hoping for. The central bank um, ha- has become more accommodated. They didn't cut rates this week, but there is certainly scope for them to do so in the coming months. And the markets are very much uh, anticipating a rate cut in one of the next two or three meetings. The RBNZ actually did cut interest rates this week and the two are uh, do tend to be somewhat aligned. We've got employment data coming this week. Again, not too bad, 5% unemployment, not, 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 nothing to be shocked by necessarily, but this is a, a few days ahead as well of a massive election. Maybe this is why the RBA held off on cutting rates this week because of the proximity to the election. It wouldn't surprise me. Central banks don't, don't want to be seen as being any, any way to political. So doing nothing is always seen as being better than doing something. Uh, but we have an election. It's a closely fought election uh, between the main two left, there's the centre-left and centre-right parties. Um, we've seen enormous political instability in Australia now for the last decade. Uh, I think six prime minutes, six six different leaders in, in, in a 12-year period. That doesn't exactly spell out political stability. Both parties have undergone reforms in order to try and create more stability at the top. So this could be a really interesting election. I think, like I say, not normally necessarily at the forefront of our minds here in the UK and even in the West. But I think this is going to be an, a really interesting election at a time when political instability across the world is rife. Greg, one to be watching this. Craig Earlham there, Senior Market Analyst at Oanda. Always a pleasure. This is the Oanda Market Insights podcast. It's available from iTunes and all the places where podcasts live. Let's be honest, things won't be getting any quieter in the coming weeks as we look ahead to elections here in the UK, European elections and uh, and so on. So uh, do join us again next week when we'll be uh, going through that. Always a pleasure. Have a lovely weekend. the Oanda podcast from the team behind Jazz FM's Business Breakfast, a daily early morning 30-minute briefing for the day ahead. On air from 6am, listen to Jazz FM on DAB, online or just ask Alexa.